You are listening to the Long Hollow Students Podcast. For more information and to stay updated, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LH Students. How's it going, high school? You guys doing good tonight? That's good? Awesome. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. A lot of you are looking at me wondering, who in the world is this guy? Uh, I'm fairly new. Uh, I've been here about five months now. My name is TJ Joy. I'm the college and young adults pastor here at Long Hollow. And just so thankful to be here, thankful to be a part of this church. And uh, really just, I'm so thankful for the the leadership here in the student ministry. You guys got the best student ministry in the world. Give it up for your leaders tonight, all that they do. It's incredible. Do we have any seniors in the room? All right, all right. So so here's the deal. Since I'm speaking tonight, we wanted to do from the college ministry to you guys. We want to give you guys a little treat. And so tonight, immediately following, if you meet us in the garage, we got some La Michoacana popsicles. Y'all like that? Yeah. All right. All right, we're going to hook y'all up. So all seniors just hang out with us. Did I say that right? Anybody? Okay. We're good. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So I moved here from Atlanta a couple months ago. As I said, I'm, I'm married. been married for about eight years now. And we have three beautiful girls. And just so thankful for them. Um, but one thing you need to know about my kids is that they love to dress up. Any of you, when you were kids, you like to dress up at all? You like to play dress up, whether it's princesses or uh, superheroes or, or whatever it is. You guys, you guys enjoy that? Some of you are looking at me going, man, I still like to dress up. What's, what's your point? All right? <laughs> we'll pray for you. It's okay. But my girls, they love to dress up. And, and if you come to our house at any time of the week, whatever day you come, my daughters are going to be dressed up as something different. We've got Hulk. We've got Spider-Man. We've got Avatar, we've got Elsa, Anna, you name a princess, we got it. I mean, they have this whole big old tub full of it, and they love to dress up. But the thing is, when they dress up, like, they completely take on the character of that costume. So when when they're dressed up, you don't refer to them as Madeline and Emma, you refer to them as who they are, whoever they're dressed up as. And so we're in Atlanta a couple years ago, and... My wife and I are in the kitchen, and we're getting dinner ready, and all of a sudden we hear our middle daughter just start crying. And it's not like one of those cries where, you know, my older sister took my stuffed animal. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was like, I'm fearing for my life here. <laughs> Get in here. And so my wife and I, we go running into the living room, and my daughter, who is dressed up head to toe as the Hulk, foam hands, big old fist, everything, is straddling my middle daughter, has her by the neck, and is banging her head up and down on the floor. And so we go in and we're like, yo, Maddie, what in the world are you doing? You can't, you can't beat up your sister. Like, this is crazy. This, this, is, this is outrageous. You can't do this. Like, try and beat me up. Like, fight the couch. But don't, don't take it out on your sister. She can't protect herself. She's young. She can't defend herself. Come on, Maddie. What are you doing? And we look down, and Maddie is welling up with tears. Her eyes are getting all red. She's te- you see the tears just start building up in her eyes. She looks up at us, and we think we're going to get this soft, you know, Dad, I'm sorry. She looks at us, full character, and she says, 
I'm sorry, Daddy. Like, in tears, in tears, she's unwilling to get rid of her character. Like, when she puts these costumes on, completely consumed by it, it affects everything in her life. It affects her name. It affects her the way she talks, it affects the way she acts and lives. It affects everything. Listen to me tonight, high school. When we choose to follow Jesus, God desires that we be completely and totally consumed with who he is. When we say yes to Jesus and we step out in faith and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, we are giving all of who we are to him. And the gospel should impact the way we talk. It should impact the way we relate to one another. It should impact the way we relate to our parents. It should impact the way we view school. It should impact every single area of our life. And so tonight, if you've got those notes there in front of you, here's the main idea. Here's, here's what we want to get across. It's very simple. Two words. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. You look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52, we're going to look at a story that's probably familiar to you. you if you were here Sunday, you, you would have listened to this, this passage as well. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. It says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. So Jesus stopped and he said, call him. And so they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. So he threw off his coat, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind, the blind man said to him, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Let's pray. Father, tonight what I say means nothing. But God, what the spirit of God through me, whatever you say, it, it means everything. So God, as we jump into your word, would you, would you call us to obedience? Would you call us to trust in you? God, I pray for those in this room who are far from God, those who don't know you. God, would you call them into a relationship with you tonight? I pray this in your name. Amen. There's four truths from this passage I want you to see tonight. Number one, number one is that Jesus practiced what he preached. Jesus practiced what he preached. If we're going to understand Jesus' heart in this passage here in Mark chapter 10, we've got to look at the full context. All right, we've got to look at the context in which this passage sits because something important happened just before Jesus goes to the blind man named Bartimaeus. In verses 35 through 45, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and two of his disciples do something very bold. James and John, two of his closest people, two of his closest friends, come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus is like... <laughs> All right, what you got? James and John look at him and, and they say, we want to sit at your left and at your right in all of your glory. That is a big ask. 
all of the other disciples who are sitting around and listening to this, they get offended by this question. And they're looking around and talking to each other, and they're like, how in the world can James and John think that Jesus would do this? Like, how in the world could they ask this of Jesus? This is insane. And Jesus responds with grace, but with much truth and correction, because Jesus knew the heart of James and John. See, they weren't just wanting to be with Jesus. They, they weren't just wanting to serve alongside Jesus. In their heart, there was, there was sin. And what James and John were ultimately seeking is Jesus' glory. What James and John wanted was to be known like Jesus is known. They wanted to be celebrated like Jesus. They wanted to be served by people. And so their whole thought was if we can associate with Jesus, if we can claim Jesus, then, then we will be served as as Jesus is served. And so Jesus kind of comes alongside and he corrects them and he says in verse 45, a famous quote, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's what Jesus is saying in response to James and John. He's saying, you believe, you believe that if you hang out with me, that if you claim me, if you follow me, then you're going to be served by people. And if that's your view of following me, you've got the wrong view of who I am. Because following me is not about you being served by people. Following me is about serving people. This is a good leadership principle. This is a good Christian standard to live by. Like Christianity, Christian leadership is not about people serving us. Christian leadership is about us loving God and making him known and serving people by living out the gospel and drawing people to the Lord. Like that's what Christian living is about. And so so Jesus is communicating to James and John, like you've got it all wrong. You've got it backwards. Like it's not about being served, it's about serving. So look at that context and then look at what happens next. Jesus heads out with his disciples to Jericho. And it's in Jericho where he comes across this man named Bartimaeus. And what you need to know about Bartimaeus is culturally speaking, culturally speaking, Bartimaeus being blind would have been considered cursed. Culturally speaking, they would have believed that because of either his sin or because of his parents' sin, that's the reason he is blind. So at all costs, people would have been trying to stay away from Bartimaeus. Like they wouldn't want anything to do with him. So Bartimaeus was a man who was one of the least likely people in a culture like this to be served by people. But what did Jesus say? I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And so Jesus hears Bartimaeus crying out and he turns around and he begins serving this unlikely character. Jesus practiced what he preached. You see, Jesus never asks something from us that he does not demonstrate for us. Like Jesus does what he talks about. Whatever he says to do, he lives with his life. He gives us an example of how to do what he calls us to do. And with that in mind, I want you to think about this for a second. How does your life align with Jesus' life? Do you practice what you preach? Because in all honesty, one of the greatest hindrances to people coming to faith in Jesus are Christians. And it's Christians who say with their mouth that they love and follow Jesus, and yet their life looks nothing like it. It's one of the greatest hindrances we see 
in the church. It's one of the greatest hindrances we see in our world of people coming to faith is that you claim Jesus, but yet you don't follow Jesus. And let me just say this. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping your witness. You're not helping the church. You're not helping the mission of God to say that you follow Jesus if your life does not match up to it. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. If you're going to claim to follow Jesus and yet you have no intent to live for Jesus, don't claim that you follow Jesus because you're doing more harm than you are good for the church. You're doing more harm than good for the sake of the mission of God. Not just here, but around the world. People are looking at us and they're thinking we're fools. And we need to practice what we preach. Pastor Shane sent me this poem and I thought it was I thought it was really good. It's this guy named Edgar, and he wrote this poem called, I'd Rather See a Sermon Than Hear One Any Day. And here's what he says. This is the first section of the poem. It says, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. The best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see a good put into action is what everybody needs. I don't understand. I don't understand where we get this idea that we can follow Jesus and yet not actually follow him. Like, does that even make sense? Does that even, does that, can we even reason with that? Like, how can we say we follow Jesus and yet our life looks nothing like it? It, it doesn't make sense. And, th- and that's an idea that is completely foreign to the scriptures. When we look at the scriptures, we see people giving up everything to follow Jesus. They're all in for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of following Christ. One of the excuses we give often is, I've got my whole life to do that. Sometime down the road, then at that point, I'll begin thinking about following Jesus. I'll I'll start to think about what that looks like, and and I'll do it then. Procrastination, when it comes to Christian living, rarely turns into full devotion to Jesus. Have you guys ever procrastinated on homework? You've had like a month to do the assignment and you wait till the day before? I've done this before. I've waited till the last weekend to do like a 15-page paper. It's awful. And so here's the truth. Like when you procrastinate and you wait till the last minute, your teacher's definitely not getting your best work. So why do we think that we can put off following Jesus and living according to what our mouth is saying? Why do we feel like we can put that off and at some point down the road, we're going to give Jesus all that we are? Like, why do we even think that that's possible? It's not possible. Like, give Jesus all that you are now. We need Christians who look more like thermostats than they do thermometers. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Let me show you. Let me show you. Here's the difference, okay? On the left, we have a thermometer. On the right, we have a thermostat. Now, here's what the thermometer does. You put a thermometer outside, it's going to read exactly what the temperature is. So if it's 65 degrees outside, you put the thermometer out there, it's going to say it's 65 degrees. So it adjusts to whatever the environment says. A thermostat, however, sets the tone. It sets the temperature. 
It's not affected by the environment. It affects the environment. So if it's 30 degrees outside and you set it inside to, to 70, then that's what you get inside. You get 70 because the thermostat sets the tone. We have a lot of Christians who look like thermometers. You're in church week in, week out, but when you go out into culture, you look just like it. The things you listen to are the things the world's listening to. The things you watch are the things the the world is watching. The things you indulge in are the things the world is indulging in. Your relationships look like worldly relationships. And what we need are more and more Christians. We need high schoolers who are going into schools and their thermostats. They're not going into a school and allowing culture to affect them. They're going into their schools and they're affecting culture. They're going in and saying, I want to set the tone. I want the gospel to be lived out in my life. I want to care for people. I want to love on people. I want want to praise God. I want to worship him with my life so that the culture looks at my life and it impacts the culture for the gospel. We need more people that look like a thermostat. So Jesus practiced what he preached, but number two, I want you to see this in Scripture. We need to to understand our need for mercy. We need to see our need for mercy. Look at verse 46. Verse 46, it says, They came to Jericho. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Bartimaeus, he heard that Jesus was coming. He hears him off in the distance. People are saying, Jesus is coming. And so Bartimaeus cries out for mercy, like, when he knew that Jesus was coming, when he found out Jesus was coming, he knew that Jesus, if, if all the rumors were true about this Jesus, then Jesus could surely heal him. And so he cries out to Jesus for mercy. He cries out for mercy. Jesus, he, he knew, Bartimaeus knew, that Jesus could heal him. And the reason, the reason he knew to cry out to Jesus is because he knew what his problem was. He knew that he was blind. He knew that he wanted Jesus and he needed Jesus to help him to see clearly. And so he cries out for help. And I want you to know tonight, there are people in this room who spiritually you're blind. You don't know Christ, you don't follow Christ. And the reason you don't know to cry out for Jesus is because you don't know that you have a problem. We can't cry out for help if we don't know what our, our need is. We can't cry out for Jesus to fix a problem we don't even know we have. And so let me, let me just take a moment and, and let you know what that issue is. What, what is it that's causing blindness in our life? What is it that keeps us from God? It's, it's sin. It's sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So here's God's standard. We're somewhere down here, and we can't get there because of our sin. This is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, when he's hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors and the religious men come to him and they say, why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus says, because it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. We are sick 
Apart from Christ, we are spiritually sick. We're, we're broken people. Paul takes it even a step further, and he says, you're not just sick. In Ephesians 2, he says, you are dead in your sin. Spiritually speaking, you are, you're dead. You're gone. He says, you carry out the desires of, of the flesh and the mind. You, you follow the course of the world. You follow the spirit of the air, the, the, the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. He says, you're, you're by nature children of wrath in Ephesians 2. What that means is at the very core of who we are, we deserve the wrath and anger of God because of our sin. We are a sin-sick people. And because of our sin, we are blind to the gospel. And so if Jesus tonight speaks into your heart, let him open your eyes to the truth. Listen to him and wake up and let him open your eyes and save you from an eternal hell separated from him. Whenever we realize the reality of our sin, we must cry out to Jesus because he is the only one who can satisfy our need. But what happens is in our culture, we look, for, we look to all these different places for satisfaction and it leaves us empty-handed. In our culture, we look to family for satisfaction. We look to academics for satisfaction. We look towards friends for satisfaction. We look to, to approval on social media for satisfaction. We look at relationships for satisfaction. And in the end, all of these things are going to come up short because there's only one thing that can satisfy our need for salvation, and it is the name Jesus Christ. So tonight, would you cry out for mercy? Would you cry out for Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world, and he can radically save your soul. So we realize our need for mercy, but number three, number three, Jesus hears our cry for help. Isn't this good news? Listen, if you're here tonight and, and you're the one I, I'm, I'm talking about, one who is far from God, one who has never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you cry out to him, we know from Scripture that Jesus hears our cry for help. Look at verse 49. Look at verse 49. It says, Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called the blind man and they said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. So he threw off his coat and he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And when Jesus answered him, what do you want me to, uh, then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man said to him, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Jesus hears our cry help. I love this word here where Jesus, when he hears blind Bartimaeus crying out to him, it says Jesus stopped. He's on his way out of Jericho. He's headed to Jerusalem and he stops dead in his tracks. This word literally means to come to a screeching halt. He stops dead in his tracks and he says, I'm not moving another inch until I tend to this brother who is in need. Until I deal with this man who is blind, who is crying out for help, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to deal with this man before I move on. He didn't stop and he, he didn't say, ah, I, I'm kind of busy. I, I got to get to Jerusalem. Like I'm late. I'm late. I got to get there. Like he didn't make excuses. No, he stopped what he was doing and he tended to Barnabas' needs. Jesus had a habit of doing this. If you look throughout the scripture, Jesus constantly stopping 
in order to tend to the needs of the people around him. When Jairus' daughter is dying, he calls Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And so Jesus is on his way. And while he's on his way, this woman crawls over to him. And she's been bleeding for 12 years with this disease. And she reaches up. She grabs Jesus' coat. And she's immediately healed. And Jesus stops in his tracks. Meanwhile, this little girl is dying. And he stops so that he can tend to this woman's need. We see him on the road when Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. So he climbs up in this tree where he can see over the crowd. And Jesus stops in his tracks and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go hang out. We see him again in John chapter 4 when he's on this journey. And he stops in Samaria to rest. And this woman comes to the well to draw water. And Jesus stops his rest in order to engage with this woman and build a relationship and lead her to himself. So we have all of these instances, but I want you to see even a bigger picture. Understand that the entire book called the Bible, the, the, the book that you're holding in your hand, the entire message from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus stopping what he is doing in order to become flesh and come and hear our needs and save us. Like that's what the scripture is about. This is what uh, Paul writes in Philippians 2. It says, he existed in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and he became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. So Jesus was in his rightful place in heaven. He was on the throne next to God, the Father. And he stopped what he was doing because the world was crying out for mercy. The, the world was dying and going to hell because of sin. And so Jesus stopped what he was doing and he became flesh. And he lived among us so that he could give his life as a ransom for all. Jesus hears our cry. Jesus steps into our brokenness and he heals us. He tends to our needs. And so the question for all of us in this room tonight is, how will you respond to his mercy? How will you respond to his grace? Because we see some instances in scripture where people want the grace of God without the following of Jesus. You're going to learn about a man in a couple of weeks who wanted the grace of God but didn't want to do what it took to follow Jesus. You're going to see those things. But Bartimaeus, he could have take this, taken the same route. He could have been healed from his blindness and he could have went right back to the side of the road and started begging again. But no, Jesus or Bartimaeus, when he is healed and when he is taken care of by Jesus, he leaves everything and he pursues and follows after Jesus. Look at verse 52. It says, Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see and he began following Jesus on the road. Number four, we see obedience is immediate. Obedience is immediate. Barnabas had his entire livelihood on the side of this road. I mean, think about it. This was, this was his place where he raised money. This is the place where he made his livelihood. Like The way he lived, the way he fed himself was by sitting on this road and begging for people to provide money for him. And yet when Jesus calls out to Bartimaeus, he was willing to leave everything that he knew in order to follow everything that he needed. 
Bartimaeus was willing to leave everything that he knew in order to follow everything that he needed. So let me ask you this. How are you doing following Jesus? How are you doing following Jesus? When I think about like playing sports, like we, don't, we don't play sports to, to sit on the bench. Like we want in the game. We want to get after it. And so when the coach comes by and he says, hey, you're up, let's go. You're in the game. We don't sit there and say, nah, coach, I'm good. This, this, is, my, this is my favorite seat. I'm good just sitting back and watching. We don't do that. So why, why as a Christian would we say, yes, we want Jesus, but I'm going to stay on the sideline and I'm just going to watch? Bartimaeus, he got up. He left his livelihood and he went and followed after Jesus. He got in the game and he went after Jesus. What is keeping you, as a follower of Jesus, what's keeping you on the sideline watching? Maybe there's some of you in, the, in here tonight and you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you got, got sick you were younger or whatever it may be, but maybe there's some sin in your life that is keeping you from joining Jesus on his mission. Maybe, maybe there is something you need to repent of tonight that will help you get off the sideline and get you on the path of following Jesus and living for him. So what is that for your life? But I want to also ask this. For those of you in this room who don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, if you're honest with yourself, if you're, if you're evaluating your own heart as the scripture tells us to do, maybe you would say tonight, like, I, I don't know Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and Jesus heals your he, he hears your cry and if you come to him and you say God I am blind because of my sin and I want you to open my eyes so that I can follow you Jesus will hear your cry tonight I love this story in John chapter 8 when Jesus is teaching at the temple and there's this crowd gathered around and these religious men come with this woman. They're just dragging her through the dirt. They had just caught her in the act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus and they're like, Jesus, here's what the Old Testament tells us. Moses says that when we find a woman like this, we're supposed to stone her. And they said this to Jesus because they're trying to test him. They're trying to catch him off guard. And so Jesus stoops down, he writes in the dirt, and he gets up and he says this. If you are without sin, you throw the first stone at her. He gets down and he writes something else in the dirt. Many scholars believe that he's writing the sins of those men in the dirt. And it says one by one, these men begin backing off. And so Jesus is left in this instance, he's left in this moment, just him and this woman caught in the act of adultery. She's been drugged through the dirt, completely humiliated. And she's looking up at Jesus and Jesus looks down at her and he says, where are they? Has anybody condemned you? And she looks up and she's like, no. No one has condemned me, Jesus, but listen, I'm, I've heard of you. 
Jesus, I've, I've heard about you. I've heard about who you are. I've heard your claims. I've heard that you've healed people. I've heard you've done all these miracles. I've heard your teaching. I, be, I believe you're the son of God, right? That's what you say. And so God, while all of these men who brought me here have not condemned me, I know that you will because you're God. I know that you're gonna condemn me. And Jesus looks down at this woman, completely humiliated, and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says in John 3, 17. He says, God did not send this, his son into the world to condemn it, but he sent his son into the world to save it. I believe there's many of us in this room who maybe you're like this woman. You've been living in sin and you're far from God and you, you, you don't know what it looks like to follow him and maybe your thought is this, God would not want anything to do with me. God would just condemn me. If, if TJ, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew the sin in my life, if you only knew what I do in private, if you knew what I did in my relationships, if you knew the way I spoke, like if you knew the things I do with my buddies in, in ball, like if you knew these things, TJ, you wouldn't even be having this conversation. Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if Jesus was standing right here, he would look at you and he would say, I do not condemn you. He would say, I love you. I want you to cry out to me and I will hear your cry and I will meet your need. We have a God of mercy. We have a God of salvation. And Jesus Christ wants to take you where you are no matter what sin you're into, no matter how far from God you are, he wants to come and meet you where you are and he wants to draw you to himself so that you can have a relationship with God forever. So here's what I wanna do with every head bowed and every eye closed. No one's looking around tonight. Let me just ask. If you're in here and, and maybe you're the one I'm talking about tonight, Maybe this is your first time. You're not sure about this religion stuff. You're not real sure about church. You're not real sure about this Jesus guy. But tonight, God has spoken to you. And maybe for the first time, you've realized, man, I'm a sinner and I am desperately in need of Jesus. I have been blind because of sin and I need him to give me sight for the first time. If that's you tonight and you want to follow Jesus for the first time, would you just slip your hand in the air? No one's looking around. All around this room, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? You're here tonight and you say, man, I need Jesus. I wanna follow him, I wanna make him Lord of my life. Anyone in here? Awesome. Here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment and as we worship, as we stand to our feet, we're gonna have leaders over to my left, your right, and what we want to do is we want to meet with you and we want to show you what your next step is in your spiritual journey.